0: This actually uh, will be my last time with you on Ecclesiastes. Uh, So we're going to look at the final two chapters. Les is actually going to take it the last three weeks. Um, And he's going to do something I think is cool. He's going to rewind. And uh, we've looked at Ecclesiastes kind of as a whole, digging into the text, asking the question, how does this preacher um, tell us to live a wise and good life? uh in the messy complex suffering filled but beautiful world he's going to do a three-week kind of look at Ecclesiastes and then through the lens of apologetics uh which will be a little bit different of uh saying how does basically Ecclesiastes uh show that uh God is real uh and it's the only life worth living uh so same message but a little different question being asked Uh, he's going to do that last three weeks so um let me always say this real quick uh these are my resources. Uh, I've got one more I'm pulling from today. It's a great commentary my dad actually had. <laughs> and I was home this weekend and looked at it. I was like, ooh, I, I should have used that. But it's, David Gibson uh, wrote a book called Life Live Backwards. So there's a few more I pulled from that uh, from here as well. But um, again, if Ecclesiastes sang in a world full of suffering and confusion and injustice, but also that world has beauty and life in it, How do I live a good life, a wise life? Because this world as it is, is hevel, which is the word for vapor, which doesn't mean it's not real. It's just always fading away. It always leaves you grasping. uh, How do you live a wise life in that? And here's the quote on the intro before I pray. This is David Gibson. Because this is the focus of chapter 11 and 12. Ecclesiastes makes a very simple point. Life is complex and messy, sometimes brutally so but there's a straightforward way to look at the mess the end will put it all right the end when we stand before god as creator and judge will explain everything and then he says this left to our own devices we tend to live life forward we do not know the future we plan and hope and dream of where we'll be and what we would like to be doing of whom we might be with we live forward right so he says we're all leaving dreaming about a forward life what should i do And then he says this, here's the message of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes teaches us to live life backward. It encourages us to take the one thing in the future that is certain, our death, and work backwards from that point in all the details and decisions and heartaches of our lives and to think about them from the perspective of the end. Ecclesiastes invites us to let the end sculpt our priorities and goals, our greatest ambitions, our strongest desire." I want to persuade you that only if you prepare to die can you really learn how to live. That's a great summation of Ecclesiastes, that the good life is found if you'll live backwards. If you'll acknowledge that death is what's coming to us all, you can actually live a good life in light of that. All right, let me, uh, let me pray. Father, that's a, that's a heavy thing uh, to admit that uh, death is coming to us all if, if you don't come back uh, before that. Uh, but there's great wisdom in that. We want to b- believe this preacher, uh, that wisdom comes from acknowledging the cert- certainty of death, but that there's real joy in that. So would you, uh, would you walk with us through this study? Uh, in your son's name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Uh, let me uh, read for us the text that we're going to uh, do. Here we go. This, uh, uh, this is the last kind of uh, chapter and a half we're going to read together. <clears throat> Remember, this is either Solomon himself or a Solomon-like figure, okay, who's compiling uh, the wisdom of Solomon and others at the end of his life. Here's what he's saying. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Remember, that's the word hevel. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation, that word vexation, it, Uh, It either means evil or sorrow if people are confused or what it actually means. Okay, so remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Chapter 12, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light. Okay, these next verses he's describing What it's like to be old and to start nearing death, okay, and the things that you start losing, okay. So, this isn't, he's now an old man talking about what this is like. For, uh, before the sun and the light and the moon, the stars are dark and the clouds return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dim. So, he's talking about losing his sight, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of grounding, grinding is low, he's losing his hearing, and when rises up the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and tears are in the way. He's talking about becoming afraid of a lot of things. Uh, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. So it's really this poem describing what it's like to grow old and near death, and then finally die. And then so he says this Besides being wise, the preacher also taught Sorry, so now this is the this is the writer looking at everything that the preacher said. Okay, and here's the summation. "'Knowledge, weighing and studying, "'and arranging many proverbs with great care, "'the preacher sought to find words of delight, "'and uprightly he wrote words of truth. "'The words of the wise are like goads, "'and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. "'They are given by one shepherd. "'My son, beware of anything beyond these, "'of making many books there is no end, "'and much study is a weariness of the flesh. "'The end of the matter, all has been heard. "'Fear God and keep his commandments, "'for this is the whole duty of man.'" for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And that's how it ends. Uh, he sums up the preacher, preacher's words with that. All right. Here's what I want you to discuss for about uh, five minutes. Um, <clears throat> these three. All right. In the final chapter, okay, the preacher chooses two names for God for you to, to dwell on, and they are creator and shepherd. All right. Just think about those two titles. Why specifically would he choose those two titles for God to, uh, uh, to, to kind of grapple with in order to live a wise and good life in a broken and beautiful world? Why, why does he want you to know that God is a shepherd and God is your creator, okay? He could have chosen any names for God, but he chose those two. Second, all right, uh, 11, 9, and 12, 14 come back to the fact that God is judge and he will judge all things. And so the, the, the preacher is saying that God, knowing God's final judgment is crucial to living a good and wise life now. Okay, so what's the connection between God's judgment and wisdom? And third, if you don't have any other time, discuss this one, okay? He says, rejoice, O young man, let your heart cheer you, walk in the ways of your heart. For all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Okay, it seems that the preacher is saying one of the things that God's going to judge and evaluate about your life at the end is your joy. Did you take joy in things? All right. My question is, do you ever think about that? Uh, and what does he tell you about God and the good life if he's going to actually judge and evaluate your joy? All right. I've never thought about that. And I think this, man, the more I've read this, this is a treasure, Ecclesiastes is. And especially the idea that he's going to judge your joy and that the good life is connected, to, uh, is connected to your joy. So pick one, pick two, whatever. Uh, just take f- three or four minutes and discuss uh, any one of those that you want. If you've got to center on one, just discuss the third one. So uh, I'm gonna come back and ask you about some of it. Uh, but uh, this, uh, I, this is where we're gonna spend the most time because I think this is fascinating. So look at verse nine again, because this, this is a command. He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. So think of a guy, remember, this is the writer who is either Solomon or somebody like Solomon who has lived a long life and has earned a ton of money and has been successful and done all these things. Uh, And he ends up saying, let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And so he really, I'm convinced what he is saying is there's an evaluation that God is going to do on the last day about your joy, right? That um, did you take joy in the things that God gave you? Because over and over, Ecclesiastes has been telling you that God gave us a good world. Yes, it's been broken by sin. There's death, there's suffering but he gave us a good world and he's giving you all these gifts and he's saying it is actually foolish to be blind to the goodness and simmering glory that we all live live in. And he is, he is like this old man looking back and saying, if you're young, and, that, and all he means by young is if your capacities are working to some extent. <laughs> he's saying to, to every person who has capacities to enjoy these things, he's saying rejoice and be happy and find joy in the days that you're physically mentally and relationally active um and he commands us to do that uh i that is just not the way a it's not i haven't connected god's judgment to him looking at uh at us enjoying things and i don't see that often as a command but it is it's a command and which means it's not this like optional extra for Christian believers. Uh, and breaking God's commands, are, is always a, a trample on his, on his good law. And what that at least means is this. And I, I just don't think we think of God like this way. God is invested in your joy. God cares about your joy. He wants your joy. It's at the heart of who God is. God is Trinitarian. One God, three persons, which means that the heart of who God is is always delighting in each other, giving to each other, glorifying each other. Joy is at the heart of who he is, and he's inviting you into that because it's the kind of God that he is. And I don't, like, I just don't picture standing before God and God saying, it just didn't seem like you had a lot of joy in the life that I gave you. But that's one of his evaluations. Um, he's, he's actually including our enjoyment of God's world or lack of it as one of the things that he'll call to a final account for. Um, what do you think about that? What, what, what did you come up with when you, when you talk about what does that show you about God or have you ever heard about God judging joy or, or, or what do you do with that? What did, what did y'all discuss, anything because we'll talk more but that is a great Steve was saying okay let's think about Christmas you work hard to give a gift to somebody it's actually offensive if they don't delight in that gift if they don't enjoy it you know this because any any real relationship there's both a giving and and receiving there's a free giving and a free receiving and if, if there's not a delight in what has been given there's a distortion in the relationship. And actually, you've, it probably has offended you before. Uh, yeah, that is a great analogy. Uh, and, and how much more so? And the reverse is true. When you see someone enjoying, like when you see when your kid's enjoying a gift that you gave them, and it just fills you with delight. Well, so obviously, uh, it's a fruit of the spirit. So it's a spirit wrought uh, uh, fruit in us that delights, I would say, in the good thing, in the goodness of God and the good things that he has given. That is literally shooting from the hip. There might be a better, <laughs> a better thing from that. But that is, you gotta say it's a fruit of the spirit. Uh, and it's a, it's, it's a delighting in that which is good. And um, everything that's good finds its source in God and his character and what he's given, so. Thanks for uh, clarifying that, good. Um, okay, let's reverse it, okay? So <clears throat> let's think about hell. Not always, not always the uh, most pleasant thing to think about. But pl- hell, first Thessalonians talks about this being it being away from God. So hell, you could say, is the absence of God. But that God is everywhere, so it can't be absent from, from any place, but it's the absence of of his blessings and privileges, all right? And so, which, which is why, and this is Sinclair Ferguson, this is why hell is so hard for us to imagine because we all live in a world in which God is present and we all experience his blessings and kindness somehow in some way. This world is filled with it. And so, hell is an existence with nothing positive in it only negativity and so there's a, that's right again hell is essentially God saying I will give you what you wanted you you want to live a life away from my gifts away from my blood, from my presence I will hand it to you because it's a, a rebellion against a loving God who offered life which was rejected and despised because we're Right. It just kind of flips it when you realize we're all living in a world where God is present, filled with his kind gifts. And you, if you've walked through Ecclesiastes at all, you know he's not this like Christiany, y uh, just put Christian phrases on things to make you feel good. He, he deals deeply with pain and suffering. He doesn't do plastic phrases. He talks about how you should weep and all that kind of stuff. And he's saying this world is filled with God's gifts. <clears throat> And so there's a real question that I think the preacher wants us to evaluate as he says, okay, what is the trajectory of your life? Is your life, as my life growing on a path of more and more um, kind of bitterness, more and more uh, grumpiness, if you will, Uh, because I'm more and more not getting what I deserve, or is your life growing more and more in amazement to all that God has graciously given me, to all the gifts that He's given me? First and foremost, to His Son. So there's a trajectory of gratitude and patience and humility. That's kind of what He's asking you to evaluate. There is a. There's a. Uh, just, there's a uh, oh, here we go. Grumpiness is a sin. This is interesting. <laughs> It is an attitude of heart and mind nurtured by the reign of self-pity and from which the subjects of our self-made kingdom can suffer great harm because they've not treated us as we think we deserve. There is no, sorry, there's no point in being like Bear Gorillas, You know, he's the big wilderness guy, mainly guy. In the forest at the weekend, if living with you all year round is more like meeting Gruffalo in the woods. I don't know what Gruffalo is. Um, what he's saying is, what's the point? <laughs> of being this kind of amazing wilderness man, this manly man, if living with you is actually misery, if you have no joy in you. Um, And so there's just a way of looking at the world that I'm either gonna see God's goodness gifted to us or I'm gonna see God as if he's always withholding from me what I deserve. And those put you on different trajectories. Um, and And he's saying the good life is finding joy in the gifts that God has given you. How do you find that kind of joy? It has to be wrought by the Spirit. Joy is, is a fruit of the Spirit. So here's one of the great things we can ask him for it. Uh, the Spirit loves to be asked for what he loves to give. But second of all, Zach Gussman uses this uh, analogy. He said, where can I find joy? Is kind of like, and we've all experienced this, <laughs> when, you, uh, when you were using a pen or a pencil and you lost it, And you get frustrated and you start looking everywhere for it and you're under the desk and all that kind of stuff. And you finally, like you go, I don't know, you go ask your wife for a pen and she says, is the one you lost, that one in your ear? Right? Like the thing that you were looking for and so frustrated with was right here. (laughs) And I just, I just, I didn't see it. There's a real sense where the gifts of God, the things that you're supposed to recognize, they're right here. They're right in front of us. Uh, we just we just don't see them Uh, they are the warm shower you took this morning they are uh, your kids uh, laughing or crying they are um, uh, an uncle that you have they are uh, a soft bed to sleep like all those are there as gifts from our father who actually loves you And and Ecclesiastes over and over been saying, like, look around, see them as gifts. Because remember, go back to Genesis 3, when the serpent tempts Adam and Eve and sin gets brought into the world, what what does he do? He says, did God really say, did God really uh, say you can't eat of any of these trees? He tries to make God look like he's withholding. He tries to make paradise look like an insult. That's what he does. He tries to make God's good gifts look like they're not enough. And that lie has been going on forever. Um, And so this is gonna go back to what uh, Steve was saying. Real relationship involves seeing another person taking pleasure in gifts given. Delight is what we ask of others as we freely gift to them. He's saying all real relationships involve giving and delighting in. And so if there's no delight in what God has given me, then is there a relationship? And so God really is invested in your joy. Um, he really is invested in you growing in joy. It's the kind of God that he is. There's no, again, he's the only real God, so there's no God like this, but it's why the Trinity is so crucial. A, it's because it's who he is, but second of all, it's, it is what demonstrates that joy is at the center of the universe. He is a self-giving, sacrificial, delighting in God. It's who he is. And as we image him, as you're creating his image, we are to be joy-filled. We're to delight in gifts. We're to enjoy giving to others because it's what God is like. And, and he is actually inviting you uh, into that. Um, so uh, that's the first thing, is that God was actually going to evaluate our joy, uh, which is uh, interesting and something I don't think we really think about. Uh, and again, he's this older man looking back and looking at people who still have their capacities and is saying, don't ignore that. That Even the capacity to hear and to see and to taste is a gift that God gave you. Uh, And it's not always guaranteed and one day it's probably gonna fade away. And he's saying, so uh, enjoy it today. Uh, And then, uh, right, he says this, verse The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, good or evil. Um, <clears throat> so here's the other thing that he says. Again, in all the complexity of suffering and questions and why do these things... Why do the righteous seem to suffer and the evil seem to prosper? This world uh, doesn't always fall into nice, you know, black and white, clean things. Uh, It's really confusing. He says, okay, here's the simplest thing I can tell tell you. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man for God is going to bring every deed into judgment. And so he his soul rests in the fact that in all the confusion and all the questions that he has, he knows that there is one who sees all. There is one whose timing is perfect. There is one who understands all and he promises to make it right. He promises to heal everything that's broken. He promises to bring, uh, to bring justice to those who have had injustice. He promises to bring a day of eternal joy and so it's a posture of trust in him, and his, right? The wise and good life is trusting that there is one who is wiser than me. And so the way that he calls me to live is the good life because he wants my, wants my joy. And he says the way to do that is to fear him. Fear is not, right, this, this fear of a slave or this fear of this monster that's gonna come and take away good things, right? That, that can't be it. It's a fear that God is the, is reality itself. And so everything is centered on or done around him because he is the point. Uh, that glorifying him is everything. And when I see that, then there is, there is a simplicity. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it says okay, uh, he's the point and all he's calling me to do is to obey his commands that he's given me, and that's the good life. Now, the good life is not lack of suffering because Jesus lived the good life and had a life, life, life of suffering. <laughs> it's not uh, where everything will make sense to us. Uh, it's not that there's no death. It is is trusting the shepherd and the creator who designed you uh, that he knows best. Um, and so <clears throat> I'll, I'll kind of end with this. Zach one says, you gotta... Imagine an old man kind of sitting on a porch recounting his life. I mean, that's essentially what this guy does. <laughs> Recounted his mistakes and, and everything that he's seen, the applause that's been given him, the art that he's, uh, that he's made, you know, all the wealth that he amassed, all the disappointment in relationships. And you got to imagine this, this elderly man on, on his porch just beginning to just laugh. And he says, why are you laughing? And he, and, and he says, because in the end I found joy. And, he sa- and, and you say, where, where did you find joy? And he talks about the pencil, pencil right on his ear, about it's right in front of you. And then he says this, you will be tempted to think that you must prove beyond the wisdom of the words of God in order to make a difference and find your purpose. You'll be tempted to think that you think, that you, think you need to do something grand or great in order to prove yourself worthy or credible. But I tell you, everything is said and done. The grand purpose for which we live, the whole duty of life is this. Trust God, follow what he says, and this right where you are. This is the purpose in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> this is the purpose today. This will be the purpose in all eternity. Is to trust, to delight in, and to follow him. Um, and, and all this stuff about, you know, uh, uh there's all these, uh, the words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed or collected sayings. They're given by one shepherd of making many books. There is no end, much study is a weariness of the flesh. He's saying that God's, God's commands will, will poke us, they'll prong, prong us, they'll they hurt, they'll expose things that we wish weren't there. But he's also saying that like, you can read endless books trying to figure out what is the good life and what exactly should I do? And he's saying, But there's a simplicity. It's just trust your father and obey his commands. That there's a weariness that comes from trying to read all this stuff to figure it out when it's right in front of us. Um, uh, And so, yeah, engage the realities of this world. Contemplating God as your good shepherd and the one who wants your joys, your joy. I don't know, what, uh, I've got a couple minutes. Anything come out of that that you'd like to uh, comment on or questions or... Thanks, True. Drew said, good lesson, well done. I want everybody to, to hear that, so. I uh, uh. Oh, look, it, until I started Ecclesiastes with y'all, I, I didn't know that Ecclesiastes wants your joy, and I'm now convinced of it. Um, and it's really become kind of a treasure because it's so honest about the world as it is, but it's saying there's a pathway to, to joy uh, if, you'll, if you'll walk with the Lord in it, so. That our, our autonomy, in a sense, is an illusion. Um, yeah. That following the one who made us, who is joy, who is life, and following what he says is the pathway of joy, and that just is, it offends our sense of independence. Look, and I was, there, there was a, uh, I can't remember his name, there's a writer who wrote this long article on, he said if you really, <laughs> what he's convinced is the downfall of most uh, nations that are kind of saturated with Christianity, it's like it's not bad education it's not all that kind of stuff he said what usually is their downfall is a lack of joy um and I, I don't know i just think that's worth uh i think that's worth thinking about uh so yes jill start with the small things uh no one enjoys the big things if they haven't enjoyed the small things uh start with the small things that's a great yeah our kids are a great picture of that hey i've loved studying ecclesiastes with you i hope uh I by no means have figured it out. I think it's a tough book, but uh, hopefully there is some nuggets in there. So let me uh, pray. Lord, thanks for this book of Ecclesiastes. I pray that it would continue to work in us. That we would reflect and contemplate you as our shepherd. But man, more than anything, contemplate uh, Jesus uh, who came to bring us real joy. Uh, I don't think about that enough. Uh, but you went to cross. You went to the cross so that we could have life uh, and life eternal. Uh, help us to think about that this morning, in your son's name. I pray. Amen.